Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. So I want to deal with this area here, with the issue of the heart. The heart. It's what Jesus wants. He wants the heart. And he has a ministry to the heart ministry to the body, but he has a ministry to the heart, the soul, the heart of man. Uh, the mind and the, the brain's not used as a word in the Bible. The Bible refers to the, the mind about 90 times, but refers to the heart 862, 863 times, something like that, the heart. You see, if the heart is the, the heart, essentially, it is the center of our being. For as a man thinketh in our heart, so is he. So essentially, you want to know about yourself, then you have to read your own heart. What's in there, that's us, okay? And so the heart is full of compartments. The Bible says so in Proverbs. It talks about the chambers of the belly or the chambers of the soul. And so we can have bitterness as part of our heart expression, but we also can have faith operating through our heart. We can have jealousy operating through our heart. We can have resentments operating through our heart. We can have uh, selfishness operating through our heart. It doesn't operate through our elbow, or our ear. The lust of the eyes is an expression of the lust of the heart. The mouth, the Bible says, is an expression of the heart. It says, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, adulterers, murders, thefts, and jealousies, and discord. It actually, so if we understand what is in tucked away here, is going to be manufactured, is processed, and begins to grow within our hearts, and it's, it's resident. And what God wants to do is He wants to set us free because some of us have a heart problem. And we're not talking about a heart attack. So the Bible says men's hearts, interesting enough, will fail them for fear. Notice this in the heart. The heart is actually a thinking organ. Did you know it pumps blood to the body, of course, but it actually pumps thoughts. And this is, uh, this is science research now. You can go Google it. They've discovered that the heart is actually a thinking organ. So they're catching up with what the Bible says is thoughts are actually engineered from the heart. Uh, and the heart is a house. It's like a container. And it houses, can house, uh, or it can be infested by darkness, can actually house demonic spirits. Demonic spirits, unless it's a spirit of infirmity, don't hang out in your elbow. Remember I said, that's not like in your leg. It gets into your soul, gets into the mind, but gets into the chambers, the belly area of our heart. And that's why Paul, uh, Peter said to um, Ananias and Sapphira, he says, why has Satan filled your heart? So if you want to know what God's asked for, that's where the rejection is housed. Rejection's not in our shoulder or our ear or our eyes. We may interpret things through our eyes, but essentially rejection is inside the soul. It's inside the heart. And so what Jesus wants to do, and he's merciful, that's the good thing, is Jesus is incredibly tender-hearted with us through the processes of renewal. Through the processes of restoration, Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is incredibly gentle. He said, I'm lowly, not lonely, I'm lowly in heart, humble in heart. My yoke is easy and light. Isaiah says, a, a, a bruised reed he will not snuff out. Jesus is incredibly compassionate to us. Very, very gentle, very patient with us. Very patient with us. Very upfront with us, but patient. 
So the scripture, and I'm, I'm, and I'm going to say this, can I just, because I'm going to teach this through a little bit. Um, all of the way we do our bad attitudes or our substandard attitudes, our greeds and lusts and so forth, aren't always triggered to a past childhood root. That, that's not right. It's not. We are sinful by nature. And we have a flesh life. Lucifer was in a sinless context. The Bible says he was the sum of all perfection. But it was in a sinless context until sin was found in him. Uh, you look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were a sinless context. They were created. Remember, not righteous. They were created innocent in a sinless context. But they began to make some choices. I look at the angels, a third of the angels that followed Lucifer, a sinless context born that way and created that way or created that way, and then given the chance, they decided to rebel and go against the loving, benevolent father and follow Lucifer. And it's really interesting. And so I'm going to go straight into Psalms 147.3. 147.3, it's talking about Jesus. This is what it says. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up all of their wounds. Have you got a broken heart this morning? Have you got a heart where you try and keep things down and barricade it up so people can't really feel what's going on and you're afraid to be a little bit vulnerable? It's a real thing. And then we see the outworking of it in Luke 4, 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The word brokenhearted, this is what it means in the original. It means shattered. It means crushed, it means bruised and broken in pieces. I want to submit to you, there are people and present to you, there are people in our community here in Rarotonga that have a broken heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. They've got a broken heart. There are people sitting in congregations all around the Cook Islands who have a broken soul, have a broken heart. We have to be real of these things. And so we try and like, I think Mike Connell was talking about Press on, brother, you know what I mean? But the reality is, it's funny, I thought that was very funny because I can relate to that. Press on, you know? You know, had a divorce, oh, well, forgive, and then press on, you know? But uh, hey, we've got to minister to this area. We've got to grieve our losses, you know what I mean? There are some things, there are the dynamics that we carry, and there are childhood and, and teenage areas that were, we got bashed around and munted around and so forth, and all we do is we learn to cope with life because that's what our parents did. You didn't go to school in the seventh form. Oh, just before you hit the world, we've got inner healing sessions. We've got healing sessions on the motions, and we're going to deal with these. No, we can't. There's, there's not. I mean, they don't even, we don't even things, have things on how to balance their checkbook. And we go right into the world. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery sight to blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Now, remember this. What does oppression do? What oppression does, it pushes people down. You could be in a marriage, oppressed, pushed down. You could be in a work and environment and your opinion and your whatever is pushed down. We could be a people in a particular government uh, context around the world and we're pushed down. Jesus, actually the word in there where it talks about, uh, about oppression actually means prisoner of war. And it specifically refers to people who are oppressed by governments around the world. So I want to say this, God is interested God is interested, or Jesus is interested, in the social issue of oppression. Of course he is. Because how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and how he went around, anointed with Holy Spirit, and uh, how, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and, the, and fire, and how he went around healing all of those who are 
uh, oppressed of the devil. He came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free. It's the ministry of Jesus. And uh, so anyway, so we're going to go through this. David the psalmist gave his son Solomon. We know that Solomon had a pound of wisdom, that's for sure. Supernatural governance, supernatural wisdom. But David in chapter 4 begins to speak to him. So part of his wisdom actually was from David the psalmist. God had given him wisdom, but part of it actually comes from David. He said, as a child, I learned from my father. His father was, he's not talking about God the father, Yahweh. He's talking about David the psalmist. And this is what David the psalmist, he gave him life counsel. And he said this in Proverbs 4.23. He said, guard the heart, which means to put a garrison around your heart, a protective measure. Ever felt like you've needed to guard your heart? We talk about being vulnerable, but sometimes we need to guard our heart. But I'll explain where in the context of how we should guard it. It says, guard your heart because out of the heart flow the issues. Can you say the word flow this morning? Say the word issues. Anybody got any issues? Okay, got issues. All got issues. You ever heard someone say, oh man, she's got issues. It's funny when it comes from people that don't know Jesus. And they say, oh, she's got issues. It's quite comical. He's got issues. Okay, most of us have got issues uh, to some degree, if we're honest about them. But guard the heart because out of the heart flow the issues of life. Issues are matters. They're life affairs. They're a situation. I'm going through a situation. It's like I'm going through an issue. That's what it means. Okay, what's an issue? What's an issue of life? You've got to guard your heart, put a, uh, a uh, protective measure, a garrison around your heart. But what's an issue? All right, divorce. That's a life issue, wouldn't it? How about uh, marriage breakups and affairs, adultery? I think that's a life issue. How about relational breakups? I think that's a life issue. All right? And so we've got all these things that are in there. How about disappointments? I think that's an issue of life. And the Bible says to guard your heart, protect your heart, protect it. Bitterness, resentment, offense, judgments, where we judge the actions of other people and we jump to conclusions. Oh, they're like this. They, the reason why they did this is this. How do you know 100%? You find out it wasn't 100% at all. It's not even right. But there's this thing within us that throws out a judgment. Judgments come from the heart. Judgments are issues. It sits there as part of the carnal, fleshly nature. It's not spiritual and it's not discernment. It's a, a judgment. Okay, the way we do relationships flows from our heart. The word flow is interesting because it means to flow. It means to come forth. It means to proceed. It comes out. Now, here was this. Whatever is in our heart is going to come out. It's hard to tuck it away. I try to find a scripture where somebody's tucked it away. Absalom tucked it away. He hated his uh, brother, uh, his um, stepbrother because he'd raped, raped, raped a tamer and I held his peace. So the Bible says he didn't speak good or he didn't speak bad. He just held himself until one time he killed him. But essentially it pops out. Rejection pops out. Excuse me, my rejection's showing. Last it will pop out. Anger and rage, yeah, it will pop out. I feel like smashing that guy. Oh, really? Criticism, it pops out. Gossip, it pops out. It's an indication. It's an expression. It's a manifestation. It's a mirror. It's an exposure of what's inside our heart. The way we do relationships, the way we respond, the way we react. Ever had something happen and you think, she's having a meltdown? Or 
mate, he's having a major meltdown. All it is, maybe under pressure and so forth, it's still, it's still an expression of the heart. Because Jesus went to the cross and was under a lot more pressure than all of us combined, and he didn't have a meltdown. The, the word flow is interesting because it means to usher and to come out. Whatever is inside is destined to come out, and we manufacture it, recreate it. So because it's within us, like let's just say bitterness is within inside the human heart. It's not in our elbow. It's not in our mind. The heart feeds the mind, but it's within the heart because of damage and so forth and hereditary stuff. I understand these things. And so it's there, but it gets manufactured. There's another situation we get bitter. There's another situation we get upset, we get angry, and it's because it's being, it's like a process. It gets manufactured all the time. Lust gets manufactured. You don't just lust and then stop it. It's like you've opened Pandora's box. There's another time you feel like lusting again and, and you're in another environment and there it goes again, another environment, and it's been manufactured. And that's what it happens. The Bible says it springs forward out of our heart. Greed, the love for mammon, the love for money, where we put that and we're sometimes ashamed to admit that as Christians that we love money a little bit more edged up than Jesus at times because we put our faith in security. It's what we long for is more money and to do well. But that actually is a condition of the heart. Did you know unbelief, the Bible talks about an unbelieving heart. Do not have, in Ephesians, a heart of unbelief. It's in the heart. All right. So the heart produces fruit. Uh, out of the heart proceeds. Those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And then in Genesis 6, 5, we go back into the beginnings. And this is an interesting one, Tower of Babel. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent which means motivation. Wow, that's a big call. But Moses is writing this. Every motivation or intent of the thoughts, remember the thoughts of the heart was evil continually. That's incredible. The thoughts of the heart. Uh, the Bible refers to the abundance of the heart. The, largest, the, the heart is big. It's not just a small thing. It can contain a lot. The heart can contain a world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He has a big heart for the world. Uh, you can have a heart for a nation, have a big enlarged heart. You can have great capacity. In fact, your capacity to handle people is indicative of the spiritual size of your heart or the personality size of your heart. But really, it's our ability to actually love people and love one another. And I was thinking this, you can have a hardened heart. And I saw about the hardened heart. I see that in... Uh, in Matthew, uh, Luke there, I think it is, where we've got the Good Samaritan. Jesus does a parallel. He, he does a parable, and he talks about the Good Samaritan. And he talks about the Levi and the priest going past and crossing the over, uh, other side as a guy. As some, uh, a guy has been beaten up and bashed up. The Bible says he's been beaten. He's been robbed. And now he's got no clothes. And they says that then he's unconscious. So there's four things going on in this guy. I mean, it's one thing to be unconscious, but when you wake up, you've got no clothes on and all your money's gone and everything else. And the two priests that represent religion, you can go to church and be religious and have a hard heart. That's, that's really, really what I see out of that. But the Good Samaritan, what did he do? Crossed to the other side. Saw him, put him on his donkey, bathed him up, put him into an inn or a tavern, and he said, I'm away for a day. Spent the night with him, looking after him and nursing him, then went away, came back, and he said, every ounce of money spent on him, charge it to my account. 
who is thy neighbor? And the guy says, oh, the, the good Samaritan. But really step back, religion, we can become callous. She's a hooker. She's a prostitute. Well, these guys are into drugs. It serves them right. They know better. They're backslidden. They've been given the chance to receive the gospel like everyone, but it's just like true. You might be true, but we're lacking mercy. The Bible says truth and mercy come and they kiss together. Can you imagine that? They kiss together. In other words, they're unified. Jesus, the Bible says, but good. Uh, it's, it's like Jesus has a ministry, he's a severity, but good. The, the, behold, the severity of the law, but also talks about his mercy endures. Endures. It endures over our sin. It endures forever. So we come down here still, and um, we have this guy called a prophet. Now, Saul, Israel, just to back up a little bit, real quick, Saul is a king of Israel, elected king by God. Uh, he says, but if you want the king like your neighbors, because they said, we don't want to be governed by you, God, anymore. We'd like to, a man. And so God chose a very handsome man out of Israel, and his head and shoulders taller than everybody else. But then prophet uh, uh, Samuel gave a warning. He said, but if you take him, your sons and daughters will be enslaved to him. And he did. He took all the girls for uh, maids and so forth, took all the best sons into his army and so forth. But he had an insecurity problem, a control problem, and a paranoia problem, and basically demonized. And so there's this young guy called David the Psalmist. And uh, finally, he ends up going, and, and, and Samuel had died, of course, and uh, different things had gone on, and the end of the kingdom's taken away from him, and David's going to be the replacement. Now, this is a guy called David the Psalmist, probably the most popular man in the Bible outside of Jesus. Let's throw in Abraham. Let's throw in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Solomon. But David is the man. One of the most powerful kings that the world has ever seen. The, the most powerful leader of Israel. Unbelievable. He's one of the guys that I just want to do a beeline. Get into heaven after spending hours, hours, hours with Jesus talking. And sh you know, maybe after that I don't need to see David. But I see him in the background. I see him in the background. I can imagine he's got hair like armory, curly or something, you know, smaller guy. And, uh, but he's something about David. He's on his harp. And I think, oh, David, man, let's just... Isaiah will be back in a moment. And, I, and I, we talk and say, tell me what it was like. What were you doing with Bathsheba? Yes. But David, this is the, David's a special guy. Let me tell you about David. You know what happened? The prophet ends up by the Holy Spirit going to a house called Jesse, the house of Jesse, lines up all the sons. They were more qualified than David. They were stronger. They were older, more qualified. He says, no, nah, none of these guys. He actually went to pick on a guy. He says, you've got to be it. And the Spirit of the Lord says, no, nah, I've rejected him. Whoa. Paul talks about disqualification. Yeah, no, no, he's not the right guy. And then this is what he says. These are the key words for him. He says this, for man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. This is what God's saying. Through the prophet, he said, 1 Samuel 16, 17, ultimately, Samuel, he's not the guy who rejected him, for I am looking... You look on the outside, you thought he would be a great leader, but I'm actually looking into the quality, the container of his heart. That's what I'm out for, heart. And then it tells us a little bit about David, the psalmist. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says, This is a man after my own heart. So I look at our praise people and our worship people, and God looks at our substance of our worship and the quality of our worship. We're supposed to worship him in spirit and truth, and God knows whether we're giving him all. Come on now. 
has to be said from the pastor. God knows if we're giving a sacrifice of praise. God knows if we're really bringing our heart in. When we're praying, we're walking around and bub, 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 I'm tired and I have five minutes to go on that clock. Or God knows, Father, touch this nation. Touch this. Please, Lord, do it for me. Do it for my household. Do it for our genealogy. Do it for the nation. Do it for the government. Please do it for the sacrifice that you paid for our nation. He knows the quality of it. He knows the quality of what is happening in our life. Whether we give them, where we give them real substance of praise and worship, even in our offerings, I believe the Lord examines the quality of our offering. Sometimes we can get into the mode and the principle: I tithe because I know there's a kickback of blessing. It shouldn't be like that. Pure giving is, Lord, I give, I give extravagantly, or I give whatever it is, and I'm also going to love my neighbors as myself. God knows the quality of our heart, and that's what He's out for. And the good news is this: we can come before the Lord and say, God, change my heart, soften my heart, renew my heart. That's a prayer I've been praying probably the last year or so. God, change my heart, change it. And I remember thinking, oh, if he changes my heart, I might be changed into something I don't want to be. I remember actually thinking that in the moment. Maybe the devil hit me with that thought. I don't know. But I remember, no, that's wrong. Man, get behind me. And I thought, no, 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 my life is not my own. When I said I do to the Lord and I will to the Lord and I surrender, my life died. It's no longer that we that liveth, but Christ who liveth in us. We died to ourselves that he might be elevated and the resurrection life of Jesus would flow through our hearts. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Getting there. One thing I have thought about David here. One thing have I desired of the Lord. This is David speaking. This is the heart of the man that God identified as the leader of Israel. That will I seek after that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty. David wanted to behold Jesus. God saw that and to inquire in fellowship with him. Now understand this, and I've had this pointed out. It's quite interesting. Moses is on the scene. Moses brings an ordination of worship where just the priest went and everybody stayed outside and were pretty quiet. David must have had somewhat of a revelation of worship because he changes the whole thing. And God loved it. God wanted it. And what he did, he brought high praise in. Trumpets blasting. The quietness of the library went. All of a sudden, we've got, we've got drums going in. And we've got lead guitars coming in. And we've got bass guitars. We've got people jumping and shouting. And all of a sudden, everybody can be unto the Lord. In other words, everybody can enter in the presence of God. And it brought a reformation. That's the beginning of our praise and worship. David had the revelation. They talk about David, actually. They, a lot of people believe that David could hear instruments because he created, he created, David, the psalmist, created musical instruments. He designed some of them, made them because he could hear prophetic sounds. It's quite amazing when you study the life of David. Definitely, we know this, that David had to move in high-end prophecy. It's incredible how he could cite, how he could cite the coming of the Lord, like Isaiah and specific scriptures that talk about Jesus is incredible. And the future, it's amazing, prophetic. And he brought through what is called praise and worship. Right. Okay. So the heart has compartments. We've talked about that. The heart is the base of our identity. Where else do we get our identity? Our identity, respectfully, isn't from culture. 
My identity isn't the fact that I live in the Cook Islands and I'm half New Zealand, half Scott. That's not my identity. That's the expression of how I've been born into this earth. But now there's been a shift. My prime identity comes, not because of accomplishments. My identity doesn't come because I'm a pastor or a minister or an oversight over churches. My identity comes because I'm blood-bought. I'm a royal child. I'm a child of Jesus Christ. It's, everything else is going to go. That's not going to go. That's my identity. I'll become a new creation, a new identification. But trust that's how it is. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And then we have the ability to trust. Where does that come from? Our armpit? The ability to trust people comes right from our heart. And we choose to trust people. I will trust people. I'm going to pull down the walls and the onion peels and, and so forth around my life, and I'm going to pull them down, and I'm going to trust people. Have you ever tried to compliment someone, and they throw it back in you? Mate, that was awesome. Oh, no, no, you're awesome. And it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just said you were awesome. Oh, yeah, but yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. I just said that was really Okay. It's just like some form of uh, detection or throwing it off or projecting it back because they don't want you to get too close. That's what it is. And we've got walls up. Most of us carry walls. And we carry it because somebody said something or somebody didn't say something they should have said. And we've got, we have to defend for ourselves through life. And we've got all these walls up. Don't touch me. Scratchy. Get too close. Give me some space. Don't fence me in. We'll talk about anything else in the world, but don't get too close to me now. I can only let so-and-so in because that's the only party I trust in this world. But I think some of us, you know, we've got these walls up. But you know what You know what happens when we've got walls up? This is what happens. When you go to your neighbors, you give out of the need to give. You give because you know it's the right thing to do. But the heart is not quite there. You pro we prophesy because we've got the gift, but the compassion's not there. You know what I'm saying now? When the compassion... When lovers felt the message is heard, when the love comes forward, the message goes into the soul, into the spirit of the person. That's the difference. And But when we've got all these walls up and unbelief up, because unbelief comes from the heart, what it does, it actually minimizes the potential and the power of God's grace going into another person's life. It's amazing. That's why God wants to bring wholeness. He wants to bring wholeness because when we're whole, we can go out, we can love somebody. And we don't feel rejected. We want to tell them about Jesus, but I don't want to tell them in case they get upset. But really, it's silent rejection. We don't want them to reject us. But the person who's whole can go anyway, rejected otherwise. And they say, I love you. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we don't need you. You and your rubbish and that sort of stuff. And no, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I love you. I just, I just love you. And all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, they're crying. You see the difference. It's, it's the compassion of God that people need to feel. So, so anyway, come through this. Getting there. The ability to trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Where do we trust God from? Our heart. We can make a decision to trust people because the Bible says love trusts all things. And it's indicative of how much love we've really gotten there because we love people. We trust them. We don't keep a record of wrongs. Now, here we go. The substance of our faith, because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the substance of faith flows through what? Has to flow through the heart. Okay? A man believes with his heart, Romans 10.10. 10. Why do you believe? You believe with your heart. 
I choose to believe you, Father. I believe in the miracles. I believe in your character. I believe in your nature. I choose to stand with you. That the, the thing that makes us common with any other church on this island that's preaching the gospel is this one major thing, is that all of us believe God will stand by his word. Ultimately, that's it. Bottom line. Unbelief comes from the heart. Men's hearts will fail them for fear. It comes from the heart. Hebrews 3.12, see that no one has an evil heart of unbelief. Now he's talking to the, the kingdom. He's talking to the, the faith guys, talking to the Christian guys. It's not going out to the well. I'll see that none of you guys out there in the secular community up rehab has an unbelieving you know, heart of unbelief. No, he's talking to us, man. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the believers, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the, the Christ bearers. So the heart, it houses faith. It houses unbelief and it houses fear. It houses doubt. The heart radiates what's inside. Have you ever considered that? Uh-huh, it does. So if we've got a sour, bitter spirit, it shows on the face. But if we've got joy unspeakable, what? It shows somewhere else. It shows on the face. And the scriptures, they look to him and we're radiant and their faces were never ashamed. We reflect the glory of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We reflect them. Okay, you ready for this? Just about two or three more things and done. The heart is where we feel God's presence. That's ultimately where we feel it. You can feel the anointing externally on your elbow or on your neck, on your back, on your face. You can feel the Lord's presence like that externally, but where the Lord flows through, he flows through your hands, through praying for people. Some of you have had that before. But he primarily flows through the heart of us, and that's the Holy Ghost flowing through the heart. We've got to give him access in. We've got to say, Jesus, come and fill my heart. I give you permission to deal with all the things I've hidden away, the chambers of my heart, the hidden stuff, the stuff that I got hurt with, it's more easy for me to bury it. It's easy for me to cover it and to hide it. There are things that have happened around my life, and it's made me what I am today, and we transfer it onto our children so we're non-communicative. We're non-touchy or non-huggy, non-empowering. Some of you dads are awesome because I've seen you with your kids and that. You turn up to the games. It's just it's fantastic. That's like the Elijah spirit with the, with the, with the kids bringing forth the heart of the fathers and the sons of the fathers. I believe that's an inner. A lot of people say the world's heart is going to be so hard, we're going to have to need that kind of revival to come through. People are hurting. People are hardened. People are so hardened. Someone's had a crisis or a meltdown or a trauma or something dr dramatic happened in their life, and we've got no feeling for it. It's like, oh, yeah, we watch the passion of Christ and you've got people weeping and you hear somebody's stories and you're weeping and you cry and you cry, baby, and you cry because your heart is tender. Jesus cries. God the Father cries. Of course he does. What, do you think he's like this? And Jesus is the guy with all the compassion. No, this is the Father heart. God cries. <clears throat> all of our, remember, all of our tears are held in a bottle. It's like a metaphor. It's like an analogy. In other words, the, pr the prayers that you, the silent cry in your heart, you better believe Jesus is there. People say, oh, where's God in the suffering? Man, God is in the suffering. He's walking with the people in, in uh, Afghanistan and stuff like that. There's moves of God all around where there's suffering people. He is there. He's acquainted with it. He understands it. 
but he wants to soften the heart of the church. And religion, what religion does, it makes us so pharisaical. We get the cross and we bang it on people's heads. But no, Jesus, Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. The greatest gift of all is the love of Jesus. The Bible says it's the greatest gift. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The love of God, it flows through our heart. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Romans 5, 5. The ability to forgive people comes from our heart. It says you must forgive from your heart. The Bible says we must be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. The heart, the Bible says, that we can actually lose feeling. Lose feeling. Have you ever prayed and you feel not engaged with God? <laughs> Do you ever feel like worshiping and you feel like there's a disconnect? And you feel like you're getting up in the morning and just, oh, man, it's not there. And later on in the afternoon, you're crying about something, you're feeling close to him. It's a bit different. But you know what God wants to do? He actually wants to build a reservoir of the presence of God inside our hearts. So one of the key ways to get God, he wants to have an enlarged heart. Us to have an an advanced heart, a, a capacity to be able to handle people, handle crisis and handle people. So what he wants to do is perform a thing called surgery. He's the great physician. So he's interested in the rejection. He's interested in what was said. He's interested in in the neglect. He's interested in all this sort of stuff. And then what happens is this. Because of of childhood and teenage and even adulthood stuff, do you know what we do? We shut down our emotions and we become numb and we become like dead to it. And the spirit of death begins to come around us. You know, we talked about before Tamar, was raped by her half-brother. Big story in the Word of God. And then she lived in Absalom's home. And Absalom, of course, was uh, killed by Joab. But, you know, I, I often I get myself into these pictures and I sort of think, what would that be? Not the, the incident itself, but what would she feel like? The Bible says she was shattered. The word, they give real clear words for it in the, in the Greek. She was shattered of heart. Remember, Jesus Christ came to heal the brokenhearted. The word is shattered in pieces. She was shattered. And she was completely disconnected. And what she would have done is shut down her entire emotions so she doesn't feel anymore. And so this is, this is the ministry of Jesus coming into her life and bringing healing and bringing the stuff out. And sometimes we're the way we are because of things that have happened and God wants to uncover. He said, well, I don't want to go back to that area. I'd just rather get on and press on. But we have to go back sometimes and bring it out. Because what we've done, we've closed up shop. And so half our emotions respond, half them can't respond because of stuff, because of issues of life. And so we just cope. Uh, I think it was uh, last week Natasha shared about some stuff that I'd gone through in a, as a teenage year. And I realized I'd, I'd have never thought it in a million years. I'd have never thought that, that. But then the Lord took me back to what I was like when I was 14 years of age. And there was a couple of incidents that were really, I felt so hollow. I felt so empty. But what it had done is began to shape it. And what I'd done, even though I'm a Christian now, I had covered that area. I wasn't deliberately doing it. It's just that God is now wanting to come and deal with that area. And we've got to give Him some permission and say, God, come in. Otherwise, this is what ends up happening. We become dead, stagnated. We just become good people 
But the power of God that wants to flow through our heart, it's just not there. And it's the anointing that breaks the oak, remember? It's not our good works or our good intention. They're gracious and they're great. They're vehicles. But essentially, it's the compassion of Christ. It's the faith of God. It's the power of God flowing through our hearts that actually brings the transformation and the change. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.atonga.com. Until next time.